Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to episode number 32 of the Circles Off podcast. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And this week is going to be another questions from the listeners episode where we posted to our Circles Off Twitter account, ask us some questions, we'll answer them. These are personally some of my favorite episodes because we get all sorts of unique questions and we try to kind of divide them into logical topics that we'll go through so that there's some sort of flow to this podcast. But we've gotten a lot of questions that are all over the place this week. But uh, I'll bring you in, Johnny, here. How are things going, man? Very good, Rob. Uh, to all the listeners here, if you asked a question and we didn't get to it, um, we're sorry. We got a, a ton of questions this week. Um, some of them, unfortunately, like we're unable to answer, and I tried to respond to as many as we can. If you asked anything about um, you know, taxes for sports betting or stuff like that. Um, you know, Rob and I are an expert. So the, the answer for anything in regards to like what, what's the legal response or what's the tax advice here is always going to be from us, you know, consult your lawyer, consult an accountant in your region. Obviously Rob and I are in Canada. People are asking questions from all over the place. It's, it's pretty much impossible for us to know the laws on a state by state basis. So that's the answer to all of those. And we, we did get quite a bit. So I just want to address it off the top that we're going to be skipping those and not answering those. Um, but if you have anything that you really need in terms of specifics, you, you could still feel free to reach out and uh, DM either of us. Yeah. And just I'll say from my end, for those who there's a lot of people who seemed very, seem very concerned with their taxes all across North America and how uh, sports betting um, how, how they have to report their taxes based off sports betting. Like Johnny said, it's very different depending on your jurisdiction. For me, I have a, an accountant that I deal with that handles my taxes for me. I go through that stuff. Uh, I make sure that he's a crypto accountant, knows how to deal with crypto transactions as well. That's something that I, that's personally how I do my own thing. And that's just kind of the same advice I would give to anyone else. If you don't know, find yourself an accountant that knows and just deal with that directly. Again, there's just way too many different scenarios that we're not going to cover here. So please, I, I, I don't want to say don't send quite like send questions. We like the questions. We like being able to answer these, but from a tax purposes um, side of things, yeah, it's just, we're never going, I'm never going to give financial advice on how to pay your taxes. That's it. Oh, and also on the circles off, we do recommend you do pay taxes. Yes, uh, if, of course. If they are owed. Okay, so, uh, and this is, none of this is financial advice uh, disclaimer. Okay, so getting into the the episode now, first question, uh, we're going to start the first category. This is more just, you know, questions um, specific for Rob and I. Uh, first one up is a, a very light one. So Rob, let's say it's a nice day out today, 24 degrees Celsius, no wind. You both tee up a driver and hit your best. How far does it carry? Okay, so I, I'll say this. Johnny's a way longer hitter than I am. Um, my game is more of what I would call a finesse game. And driver is definitely the worst club in my entire bag because what happens is if I really try to swing a driver hard, I end up coming over the top. I lose a ton of distance on a slice. It doesn't work for me. If I hit a dream drive for me, it's a 250 to 260 yard drive. 
That's me hitting my driver at its best. I carry maybe 225 on that. So that's a very short distance. Obviously the gap between my driver to my three iron is actually not a whole ton, but I find that when I swing hard with driver, I have a real problem. I need to work on that. It's something I'm going to work on over the course of the winter. It's actually pretty much all I live for at this point is improving at golf gradually. But yeah, that's my, so I guess 225 carry, I would say roughly 250 to 260 on rollout. So for me, uh, just FYI, I'm a trash golfer. I'm actually a hockey player. Um, so my, um, my game is very inconsistent. Um, I have drastically improved my distances this year, but I still can't, you know, I can't even like lie or embellish because uh, my buddy Josh listens to this podcast. He will, he'll call me out and then it, you know, won't be good. Um, I think probably, I don't know, on a perfect drive, I'll be like 50 yards ahead of Rob, maybe around there, but, um, you know, nothing, nothing too big. I'm, uh, I'm working on the weight transfer. I haven't, I haven't nailed down in hockey, but, uh, golf, I can't, I can't get it, uh, get the hang of it yet. I will say, so, Johnny, you, you, you are like, when you, Johnny has a massive slice. Like if anyone if golf, I golf with Johnny quite regularly, but like on the tee box, he has to aim like a nautical mile to the right, because that's the only way he's going to be able to hit the fairway is it's going to slice all the way back. He literally loses like 40 to 50 yards on every drive, but I've have seen him hit like a couple bombs dead straight to the right that never come back. And they're, they're like 300 yard drives. Like when, when you connect your, your swing speed is very fast and there's a lot of power in it. So if you can fix that, you're going to, you would have a monster drive, but you got to, I, I just hack it up. I just hack it up. I'm <laughs> trash right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll get improved. Uh, okay. Next Rob, do you have any gambling superstitions? Oh yeah. Well, I always tell people I'm not a superstitious person cause I'm not, but I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call this a superstition. Uh, this is uh, the best way I'm trying to explain this is that if I see messages from certain people in real time, that are like messaging me during a game about a game being over. There's a couple culprits who probably listen to this podcast that know exactly who I'm talking about. These are like the mushes that, that don't have the self-awareness that they're an actual mush. Like it'll be 14, nothing for a football team in the first quarter. And they'll send the message like, Oh, great pick with this. I deep down believe somehow that they are mushing the outcome of the game. I know it's not true, but there's just some guys that consistently message you before games are over. And it's like, have you ever watched sports before? Like, have these people never watched a sporting event where like, please don't message me till it's final. So it's not a superstition per se, but I do mute a lot of people regularly on my social channels because I don't want to see their messages in real time. Cause I know that they'll message me before a game is done. And I feel deep down that they are somehow as dumb as it sounds, having an impact on the game. Like there's just some guys that you know, like you don't want them to be on the same side as you and you definitely don't want them to message you when things are going well. So that's the only thing for me. Aside from that, the only other thing I could think of in my life was um, I, I had walked by like a homeless person when I was in, in London a few years back and I gave them like, five pounds on the street or whatever. And I had an amazing NHL night that night, like seven and O or something like that. So I went through like this prolonged phase of every single homeless person that I have, that I pass, I have to give them money or else it's going to be bad karma. Uh, or I was like attributing some sort of success to that. 
to the point where it started getting out of hand, where I was giving like 50 pounds to people on the street. Like I'm not, this is a true story, but uh, eventually I started losing again as it happens. And I, I, I'm not saying I don't give to homeless people anymore, but I don't like it's, it's change here or there. But that was something that for a while I felt maybe over the course of like a month that I needed. If if I walked past this person and didn't give them money, it was going to negatively impact my life. And I now realize how stupid that was. But sometimes when you're betting, you convince yourself of the dumbest things. So yes, dumb, but those are, those are the two that stand out. Yeah. I try to be not superstitious. It's uh, I mean, uh, there's too many swings and things like over the years where you're like, Oh, I can't believe I did that. And then because of that, I, I lost this game. But reality is like, it, you know, it's more logic versus um, anything. So if you're going to be superstitious, you know, wear lucky pair of socks, stuff like that. That's definitely not me. It's definitely not Rob. I don't think, but yeah, you can't help, but uh, think back on different things when you're, when you have like big, big, uh, swings and things like that. But for the most part, no, I'm not superstitious at all. Um, I don't have any like rituals or anything like that. And, um, yeah, that's, that's it. Okay. Next question. Big fan of the podcast. How do you guys separate betting, uh, and sweating games and family time, kids, girlfriend, wife, etc. So I'll let Rob go first there. Uh, well, I mean, it's an easy answer for me because, uh, I, I I've been, I'm married now for almost 10 years, but I had dated my wife for over 10 years previous to that. So she very much knew what she was getting into with me as a sports fan, uh, to the point where actually when we first started dating, I basically told her during NFL season, like, I don't care if there's some sort of family function on a Sunday, I'm not going. And that's sort of been something that has been true for 20 years now. I just don't miss an NFL Sunday. So she kind of got used to it and she knows the football schedule and what my schedule is like. Um, and it's not something that we've ever really had to address. I mean, occasionally she gets fed up with me like once every, um, you know, six months or so of like, are you spending too much time at a computer? And I, I do, you know, make a conscious effort to get away, but I don't have kids. That's a personal decision of mine because I just couldn't devote the amount of time that I would want to, to, to raise a kid. And, um, so for me, it's, it's very simple. Um, I, I, I just kind of like. I think the advice I would give to somebody is just make sure that you have, I don't want to say necessarily say agreements in place uh, beforehand, but like your significant others should know what they're getting into. If you're going to devote a lot of time to sports betting, um, it is a job for me. So I have to treat it like a job. And um, sometimes it's, it's really hard to hit home on that point because, you know, my, my wife might see me messing around on the computer playing hearts or something while I'm waiting for some hockey news to come in or something, but, uh, and it doesn't look like I'm working, but I need to be available. So it's, um, it's challenging, but for me, it was all about the agreements that I had made uh, a long time ago, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good answer for me. Um, I don't really sweat games or anything like that. So I don't, I don't really watch many games. The, the difference is like, I'm, I'm just always working, you know, between like, uh, running bet stamp and a few other things. Like it's, um, it's more just the time that I have. So in terms of like, um, you know, you mentioned like relationships, like I don't have kids or anything like that, but, um, in terms of relationships and stuff, it's just about managing like when you can get a night off and things like that. Cause, um, the sports schedule is very hectic at least this time of year. And then obviously calms down in the summer. So, you know, I would say the biggest sacrifices are like travel, um, like it's tough to go on like a vacation this time of year, you know, a vacation in the summer when it's just baseball uh, stuff like that. But for the most part, um, 
I'm I'm at like an age right now and at a point in my life where like I, I really do want to do all the work and I want to, you know, kind of grind as the as the kids say these days. So I'm in a spot where I enjoy what I'm doing and that's like the most important to me at this point. Yeah, I think uh, travel is always an interesting one. Like I always take a vacation the week post Super Bowl because it's just a great time to get away. It coincides with the the Olympic break this year, which is quite nice. So I can bypass uh, or get away for a week or two and not miss any NHL, which is nice. But yeah, I mean, like I think one of the things you you pointed out was you know, I do plan nights out with my wife where we do dinners or go to the movies and I'm not available to do anything. I try to schedule those on, on nights where there's not a lot of games. Um, and I know that me being away is not going to have some sort of substantial impact. It's difficult. I mean, it's, it's a good question because we don't really talk about it a lot. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it can be a challenge at times because you feel the need to be available 24 seven. Like what if a piece of news breaks and I'm not around and you constantly tell yourself that, and you just kind of got to take a step back and say the likelihood of that happening at this time is very low. So, you know, maybe I'll just do something else and get away from it all. Yeah. And I will say like the question's more like, Hey, how do you separate sweating games with like spending time with your family? Like if you're a guy who's married, you have a couple of kids, wife, and you're like spending all your time sweating the games, just think to yourself, like, what's the, the value you're getting out of sweating those games? If you're betting to make money, then you don't need to watch the games unless you're specifically in play trading, live betting, things like that. Um, and if you're betting recreationally, then maybe you shouldn't be betting every single day and then not spending any time with your kids, you know, bet on the days that you have free. So I guess that's was more along the lines of the question. It's always difficult though. It's the same thing with anything in life. You know, people who are running like any, any startup, any job, anyone who's traveling, like it's always a, a balance between uh, thing A and thing B. So that's kind of the way we think of it. All right. Why do you think, uh, Rob, why do you think sharp betters in particular, such as you, Joey Tunes, et cetera, are drawn to Bitcoin as an investment? Is it how they think about markets and risk, uh, previous exposure at offshores, et cetera? Yeah. So um, this, I, I'm obviously speaking on behalf of other people when I say this, but I feel like it's it, it's not that they're drawn to crypto as it, let, let's just say that like the reason I got into crypto and first got into Bitcoin was because I was regularly getting paid out um, in, I don't know, whatever you want, cash, PayPal, when I was first betting with other people. And then eventually they're like, you know, we could pay you in, in Bitcoin. It's a lot easier. And I was like, well, what the hell is Bitcoin? I don't really know what this is. Sounds like a scam. And they're like, no, no, no. We've been trading, you know, we've been collecting Bitcoin for a year now and we use it to transact. So I just started getting paid gambling winnings in Bitcoin. Um, and I think the gambling community was all very early adopters into Bitcoin in order to transact with one another. It's just very easy. You have a losing week, you send someone Bitcoin, you have a winning week, you get it in return pretty quickly at the time. Um, so I think a lot of the interest was just generated because the currency was very useful for betters to transact in. Um, and then over time, People started to accumulate more and more because winning betters, um, you know, they win, they get paid out more Bitcoin. And I think that's where a lot of it stemmed from. So I think a lot of the the um, obsession, I would even say, with cryptocurrency amongst betters is just because most of them were early adopters. Um, and also, like, uh, it's in our best interest to try to, you know, have the, the cryptocurrencies be worth as much as possible. So that's the honest answer, but I think is um, just generally the general 
in general, the early adoption is what did it. Okay. And on the same uh, line of thought then, um, this one comes from uh, our friend Jeff. Strictly speaking, from an artistic standpoint, 99% of NFTs are bleeping stupid, right? (laughs) Yeah, probably. I mean, it it all, like, it's another version of collectibles. You can say that about anything. Pokemon cards are stupid. Like, what what are some other pogs are stupid? Like, if there's a demand for it, if there's enough of a demand for it, it becomes not stupid. Like, uh, I I don't know. It's it's, it's subjective. Like, it's... When we say stupid, like when you call someone stupid, that's not subjective. Like there's an intelligence level that can be measured. When we're talking about like a hobby or collectibles being stupid, completely subjective. Like, yeah, I look at a lot of the stuff and I say, this is absolutely garbage. Who would like to own it? And there's a lot of people that own these things. So, um, and then there's a lot of things that I own where like I get into arguments with family members about how could you possibly put this much money into something? And I, I, like, it, I don't know. I, it's an interesting question, but um, I think it's just like a matter of perspective more than anything else. Yeah, agreed. As they say in the art world, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But ultimately, yeah, a lot of these things are not going to be for everyone. Like there's, whenever we've talked about NFTs in this podcast in the past, it was like a little bit more early on. We talked about it in March and then we had kind of another episode a couple um, a couple months ago saying how the space is a little saturated now. I would say now it's very, very saturated. So it's, it's very easy to create. There's so many different programs now where it's like, this will just create your whole NFT portfolio for you and et cetera. And this will drop your whole project for you. And all you got to do is this and this and this. And I think ultimately like, listen, like you got to figure out what you are going to value in this, right? Like as Rob mentioned, yeah, like Pokemon cards, what's the benefit of them? Like, oh, it's like, what, what's the benefit of like a baseball card? You know, oh, you have this guy's like picture on a card. Okay. And what do you do with it? Nothing. Like a lot of the things in, in life, like if you just go out like objectively, like what's the point of like a Ferrari? Like, okay, it's a nice car, but it's the same, it does the same thing as a regular car. It's the same thing as like a base model Toyota Corolla, where that's going to just bring you from point A to point B as well. And it's like, oh, well, the Ferrari like looks a little nicer and it's more rare and it's more expensive. Same deal with all these things is that, you know, at the end of the day, the value is whatever you think it's worth and whatever someone else is willing to pay for it. So as a speculative, as a speculative play, as Jeff was mentioning in this question, he's saying he gets it for an investment perspective, but from an artistic perspective, he's saying it's very stupid. And I would say I agree. And I also disagree based on, you know, who's talking. Make sense, Rob? Well said. At the end of the day, I agree with everything you said, but it's just a matter of perspective. Like some people just don't understand things and it's, that's fair. For them to say, I don't get what the craze is about. Why would I want a digital piece of art? That's fair. Then there's a lot of people who would say the opposite. I can't complete. I can't understand why someone wouldn't want to own a digital piece of art over a physical piece of art. And I listen. Uh, I I don't like getting into like the subjective. The people get like really riled up over this stuff, and it's it's just a matter of perspective. So that's that's all I'll say about that. Learn to love the punks. All right. <laughs> Moving, moving on. Uh, so we'll, we have a bunch more in that category, but we'll skip on. Um, we come back to it at the end if we have some time. But um, this one is going to be more, this category will be more in terms of like handicapping um, things we might see on Twitter. Uh, so first question up, do you think there's too many handicappers posing as math guys 
just claiming to use their numbers, but they're actually just trying to sell their picks. Rob? Um, that's a loaded question. Like there's definitely a lot of people who are coming up with numbers in a non-sophisticated way, right? I make this game minus four. Okay. Why? I don't know. Just that's what I make the game. Like I've seen that before. My friends do that. It's actually advice that I give to people in general is try to make your own number on a game before you go and bet it. So I'm not going to rip someone for doing that. Um, it, it, for the purposes of selling picks, I don't know, probably yes, because this is an industry now where everybody is looking to get involved in some capacity and to monetize in some capacity and pick selling is a very easy way to do that. So, um, I'm sure that there are people out there who could easily post pictures of some sort of model or their numbers on a daily basis to, to Instagram or, or Twitter or TikTok and build a decent following, uh, by going on an early heater or not even going on a heater just by convincing people that they have something worthwhile. I'm I'm very positive that that happens, uh, but I wouldn't like to lump everyone into that category. I think a lot of people are just taking interest to the space and looking to make their own numbers in some capacity, whether they're worthwhile or not. So uh, I think it's a mix, but yeah, I mean, that's, this is the tout industry is not going away. Yeah, like it or not, the pick selling stuff is just getting bigger and bigger every day. Uh, every new regulated market, like there's just going to be a ton more people trying to sell picks. Um, this this podcast, as we know, most people listening here, you know, discovered it or know us through Twitter. But um, like as I've been saying, I've I've mentioned on the pod before, but like open up like sports betting TikTok or sports betting Instagram, and there's even more touts than on Twitter. And if you even, if you can even believe that that's possible, because I know how many touts are on Twitter, but, uh, the pick selling space is getting bigger and bigger. So yes, there's going to be a fair amount of people who pretend to basically say, yeah, this, I have this model, this model does this. And yes, they probably do have a model, but it's like a thing that they whipped up in Excel that I could, you know, build a better one than in like a couple of hours. So understood, but at the end of the day, like it's just a marketing ploy. Uh, we, we, can really only accept pick selling for what it is and you know if you're really against it and things like that like the only thing you could really do instead of trying to eliminate the pick selling is try to just make sure that it's done as accurately and you know as nobly as possible through bet stamp or through somewhere you know someone that's honest so being able to just post out available lines and not being able to delete your record or pass post fix those two things and we've solved 99 percent of the issues about touting yeah, you look at the bet stamp marketplace that we have. Like neither myself or Johnny would ever we're not, we're not recommending that people buy picks. It's not something that we do, but we understand that there's a market of people that are always going to buy picks regardless. There's as long as sports betting exists, there's going to be people looking for picks. And from our perspective, we can at least give that user the power to do their own due diligence on someone else rather than just being affected by that person's marketing abilities. And that's the whole point of the buy and sell marketplace on Twitter. And it's why we do promote it because at the end of the day, if, um, if you have a tout out there, that's not transparently tracking their plays. Like you get this all the time. Oh, I track on Google documents. Well, I could track on Google docs and I can change that very easily. I mean, there's no one, I'm the owner of that document. Very easy for me to alter that, especially when I don't have much of a following. Oh, all my picks are posted to Twitter. Well, that's great. I can go back and delete tweets from two months months ago to alter my record. There's so many workarounds, whereas what we've tried to create is a spot where there are no workarounds. Um, so that's just the you know the way that touting is gone. We're trying to to 
at least give the the pick buyer a a chance to make a, a rational decision uh, based off someone's pick history. Okay, so on that topic, why isn't Warren Sharp in the media picks anymore? Okay, I'll take this one. Um, well, first, I'll, I'll, first give a give an overview of what the media picks are on BetStamp for anyone who hasn't uh, looked at it yet. Yeah, in the marketplace, we we track a, a couple dozen um, members of the media. Let's just say people with larger followings who are attached to big brands, uh, whether that be Dave Portnoy or Megan Making Money um, fr- from Barstool, um, Kelly in Vegas. Like there, there's a number of media personalities, Clay Travis, that we 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 track. Um, obviously, we do it to drum up some sort of interest for our app. It's that's not a lie. It's there's it's on our end. It helps us promote the app a little bit more and get people out there. Also helps keep people honest. Uh, just in general, we had Warren Sharp as part of that media picks uh, segment. Now Warren Sharp sells picks. We were not posting his plays in real time. Uh, there are Twitter accounts out there that do track his plays just in general and post records about them uh, or post his records. But we were always um, hiding his plays from the public until the game started. Um couple months ago, roughly, maybe just over a month ago, I had someone reach out to me on LinkedIn that said, um, I'm part of Warren Sharp's group. I, I don't know the exact wording he used, but could we jump on a call? Uh, at first, f- funnily enough, I thought they were trying to recruit me to work for Sharp Football, but it was a very different conversation. It was, um, guy was very polite. I won't give his name or his role, but um, he's not part of Warren's legal team, just someone that works closely with Warren. That said, uh, just so you're aware, we have terms of service on the pick selling, uh, the picks that Warren sells. Part of them is uh, what Betstamp is doing is in violation of that. We're not threatening legal action. We just would prefer if you take him down um, because Warren is scared that someone might be able to reverse engineer his place. That was the reason that was given to us. Um I don't want to fight legal battles. And honestly, if someone feels very uncomfortable that their record is being tracked for whatever reason, uh, and it's us doing it and they reach out fine, I'll, I'll gladly hear them out. Uh, but we took Warren off because we are technically in violation of the terms of service. We did pay for a picks package. So whatever, um, they were very clearly communicated to us. We have no issue with you recapping Warren's record on a weekly basis, if you'd like to do that. But posting the individual plays is where we draw the line. Um, The conversation was very, um, there was no hostility. I I don't want to make it seem like it was anything more than that uh, because that's exactly how it went. And at the end, I basically told the guy I spoke to, I have no problem doing this. If anyone ever asks about this, uh, or where Warren's picks have gone, which has happened maybe about a handful of times, I'm going to tell them the honest truth. And that's the honest truth. So that's why Warren Sharp's no longer being tracked in the media picks of Betstamp. Yeah, fair enough. Because, uh, you know, if you have the, if you can see his picks, which again are available to anyone who pays for them, then you, it's going to be quite easy to reverse engineer his model, right? So we wouldn't want uh, to put those picks out in the public and then have, you know, all of his hard work and model just be able to be reverse engineered very quickly. So um, I I listen, there is something to it. I I will say there is, it it can sound like a BS reason. I I keep all my hockey stuff quiet, as quiet as I can, because I do have the same fear at times. 
Because typically when you model games, your model is going to inherently like or dislike certain teams, maybe overvalue, I don't want to say overvalue, but maybe you value an offense or defense higher than market. And you want that edge to stick around as long as possible. Like if you're consistently playing on one team you and you believe you have an edge, you want that to stick around. So there is like, I don't think that that's an uncommon fear, but I do like, I'd, I'd like transparent record keeping just it. I'd like transparent record keeping. And um, yeah, I, I, I think like if you, if you go to, to Warren's site, um, you probably will find a bunch of trends of how his, you know, records have been over the years without any real glimpse into what those plays were. And I think that's personally, if you're looking to buy picks, I think that's sort of BS um, from, from a pick buyer point of view where you can't really access that information. Yeah, I mean, if he wasn't selling them, it would be a different thing, though. But anyone could just pay for that, and then, you know what I mean? It is what it is. Okay, moving on. Uh, do you tail anybody that you have noticed does well on Betstamp? Rob? Um, no, but I'm not the tailing type of person. That's just not who I am. I like to model my own things. Um, I do tail people in real life on sports that I don't bet, like the NBA, college basketball, but those come from people that I know really well and I'm very confident in their track record because I've been dealing with them for years. I will say there's a lot of people on Betstamp that catch my eye. Um, I, I do go through the leaderboard pretty quickly uh, or pretty regularly um, for individual sports to see how specific people are doing. I know of people specifically that tail Betstamp guys where they just turn their alerts on for a specific person and if they post a play, they'll follow that immediately. But um, on a personal level, no, that's that's not my use case for Betstamp. Um, but I, I know of a lot of people who do use it that way. Yeah, fair enough. No, I don't tail anyone. Again, I'm, I'm uh, the same as Rob. Like, I don't, uh, I'm not a pick tailor in any capacity. Um, so the answer there is no. However, as Rob mentioned, I do frequently search through the leaderboard in the marketplace uh, just to see, you know, um, which people I think actually do have an edge betting sports and which people, you know, m might just be on a little bit of a heater um, and showing a good record or to see, you know, who's just basically steam chasing injury news or market moves and who's actually posting at times where they would be originating and maybe only posting for $100 or $200. So definitely like to keep an eye on the platform. And I, I do think if you're someone who is not full-time sports betting and wants to just, you know, have a sweat and, you know, basically get action on the NBA, then there are definitely a few people who you can follow directly in the app that will post early morning NBA. And again, if you line shop and just pick the best of it through a few five, six outs you might have, um, then I do think you can make money doing that. So again, no guarantees, nothing's guaranteed, but um, I, will, I would say, yes, I, I do think you can make money also tailing people on Betstamp with the right line shopping in place. There's a lot of users that have a solid ROI and solid closing line value. Those are obviously things I'd look for in combination if I was trying to tail someone, but you can dig into every individual user, right? You can see if they're just picking the best available line at any sports book, um, or if they're consistently betting at one sports book, like I won't even give name, uh, names of sports books, but if they're consistently betting at one and beating them, you can go through their average plays and see if their ROI is being inflated by the fact that maybe they've chased some losses with some really large plays. Um, you know, if somebody's consistently locking in $100 plays and then you see a $3,000 bet, 
that's stuff that we'll be trying to avoid in the future with the platform, but it's very easy for you to recognize that by going through an analysis of a user. So uh, I think there's a lot of, I kind of think that that's like the future in some way where if you had no edge whatsoever, but just knew what to look for, you could probably put together a portfolio of like 10 to 15 guys who, as soon as they post, you just tail those and you'd be really good. You'd be set in the long run. But um, that's not just like, that's not my personal use for bet stamp, but I, I do think it's very viable. Okay. Uh, moving on to another section, more about the sports betting industry. So this one's from uh, our friend uh, Porter, who appeared on this podcast in an earlier episode. Um, do you think next year the legals, or uh, in other words, the regulated books, will be trending towards limiting accounts more or less aggressively? So I can take that one. Um, obviously, the regulated books are typically the fastest ones to limit or reduce stakes for winning players. I will say they're also the highest... Um, bonus givers uh, I don't know what the what the word would be but they give out the most bonuses of any of the sports books as well so when we're looking at profitability for these sports books which again most of them are publicly traded companies you know like DraftKings there's a lot of big big name investors behind companies like this that obviously want to turn profit on their money um in this year um you know, you can pretty much tell that direction has been given to the trading teams to cut off a lot of winning players and to manage the risk for these sports books, most of their trading is managed by a third-party software or externally outside of their company. So when you look at where the, the managed risk is coming from, it's coming from a different department. So that department is tasked with you know achieving X amount of ROI, and then the marketing department is tasked with getting as much volume as possible to go through the sports book. So when we're looking at where is going to be cut, what's going to be cut in terms of spending over the next couple of years, there will come a time where DraftKings says, hey, we're unable to support this much spending because we need to be profitable now and we've grown market share enough. And I do think when that day comes, um, it won't necessarily be about limiting more players. The first thing that will likely go is those bonuses. So my opinion on it is uh, within the next year, two years, we probably won't see much change in terms of limiting players. Um, it'll just stay the way it is right now. I don't expect it to get better in any capacity, but uh, I think it'll stay the same. And I do think we will see uh, every year that passes either less bonuses or, you know, less rich offers in the bonuses that do come. So, you know, instead of a cash bonus, they might, you know, assign it as a free play um, or things like that. Every sports book is a business. That's just the reality of the situation. Obviously, as sports bettors, we would like every single sports book on the planet to be willing to take a reasonable size bet. Uh, but on their end, the goal is not to be able to do that. It's to be able to operate profitably. So what will eventually happen is, and it, it's happening right now. I don't want to say eventually happen, but obviously internally, every sports book is reviewing their numbers regularly and saying, we need to do more of X and Y and do less of whatever Z and another letter of the alphabet. So, um, I do think that eventually there will be some regular, some regulated sports books that differentiate themselves from this obsession with early limiting now and zero risk tolerance. Um, I wouldn't say zero risk tolerance, but extremely minimal risk tolerance, um, and whether that's telling their third-party vendors where, you know, we're upping our risk tolerance or just internally taking over some of the trading or whatever, uh, I do think that eventually there's going to be some differentiators. I don't know if that's within the next year or so, uh, but obviously this is a pretty industry-wide 
I don't want to say epidemic or problem. It actually doesn't even affect 99% of the betters. It's the reality of the situation only affects like 1% of people. Uh, but I do think that there's an opportunity for some sports book uh, to do things a little bit differently, probably earn some market respect, get a little bit of additional promotion out of it. So it's a tough one. Will it happen in the next year? I'm doubtful about that, but I do think it will happen at some point. Yeah. Uh, next question, which ties right hand in hand. Um, someone asked, uh, I've been betting seriously for about a year now in a legal state. About 95% of my action is hitting stale lines, chasing steam and using promos and bonuses. Question is essentially how sustainable is this um, over the next couple of years? And I think we just answered that in a sense that, you know, hitting stale lines should be there. Obviously it gets more efficient every single year, but the bonuses are going to, you know, deteriorate just as fast as they come. So I think if you're in a regulated state right now, this is the best you're going to get for bonuses. And every, you know, every single month that passes, you can expect for that to slowly, very slowly decline, you know, not, definitely not all at once, but uh, you'll start to see less and less promos moving forward. Um, okay. So moving on, what, uh, what's your update on how you think Canadian offshore books will react to us sports books moving here, um, being to Canada. Um, when do you think the U S books will begin operating here? So by U S books, I assume it means the books that are currently operating in the U S obviously not all of them are American based. You have companies like points bet, um, who are from Australia and, and other brands from the UK, uh, like bet three, six, five. So I, I will say, I think the update for Canada in terms of when regulation will hit and when these sports books will operate is going to be sometime between uh, like January and February of uh, this upcoming year. So we're about a couple months away. Um, and in terms of like the Canadian bookies, I don't really know how this is going to go. I think we probably have to wait and see how this plays out. Um, you know, in the U.S., when the states have regulated, typically the black market operators have all like pulled out of market. But when we look at Canada, there are a lot of companies operating in a gray area, given that um, you know, they are able to get license on certain uh, native reserves and, and other uh, places like these. So we'll have to see how it happens, obviously, as a better and as someone who is just like a very um, passionate sports betting member of the industry. I think as many books as possible that come or that stay, uh, the better. So we, we obviously want as much as possible. We want the ability to open up outs everywhere, be able to compare everywhere. So having the set that we currently have right now um, and then adding on. DraftKings, FanDuel, MGM, PointsBet, and Caesars, the works, will be awesome for sports bettors um, in Ontario, where we're from, and also hopefully in the rest of Canada. I think it's obviously the, the rollout in Canada is very similar to the U.S. The U.S. is state-by-state -state basis. In Canada, it's province-by-province -province basis. It depends how aggressive the government is going to be with these gray area operators. I think some of them will just apply for licenses. Uh, I mean, we're going to see that with Bet365, who's a big, very big global brand, Betway, uh, who are kind of operating in gray area right now, but will look to get um, a, a license in, in the provinces across Canada. Then there's going to be some offshore sports books that they just don't want to open up the book, books, and they're not interested in doing that. And they'll just pull out of the market completely if the governments put pressure on them. Remains to be seen how much pressure there will be put on, but the legislation has passed in Canada for single game wagering. I watched Canada, Mexico world cup qualifier, uh, last night, which was heavily littered with advertising for an offshore sports book. 
Um, considering ProLine Plus is now live in the province of Ontario, it's kind of shocking to me that these types of advertisements are still happening regularly. Uh, but I, I don't think that, I, I mean, it's, it's a very new space for a lot of people. I don't know how on the ball, uh, things are from a government perspective right now. So, uh, it remains to be seen, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if, if a lot of the gray area operators are still around for a couple more years, uh, before you know, they kind of, uh, the government puts kind of a stranglehold on that situation and says, it's time for you to get out of market or else, uh, we're going to have to pursue some legal action. Uh, I think that's, I don't know. We'll see how, we'll see how it plays out again. I'm not a lawyer or anything like that. Uh, we're just hoping for the most possible outs as, as, as we can, but yeah, these, these gray and black market operating sites are still advertising on the major networks, like, you know, for the Maple Leafs games, for the Raptors games, things like that. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Obviously the regulated space is going to win out over time, just based on the way we've seen it play out in the U S. So we'll see what, um, we'll see what happens. Um, okay. And then the last question in regards to the same thing, do you think that PPH services will ever be completely shut down? Uh, similar to what happened with online poker, uh, in the U S with the legislation of gambling across the country. Do you think legal shops will push to have these shut down? Um, in turn, what would the follow impact be? So I'll take that real quick. I think, you know, ultimately what's going to happen is these PPH shops will stay in play. So people mentioned like, oh, po uh, poker, yeah, it got shut down completely. But did it really like, no, there's still underground poker games. There's still things like that. The, the, the reality is people who are booking bets uh, through these PPH sites, they are doing so in like a gray or a black market area. So it's like, you know, it's not something that I would ever want to be involved in or would ever do in terms of like booking bets uh, through a PPH office or anything like that. But it, there's still going to be a market for people who want to play on credit. There's going to be a, a market for people who might be higher net worth individuals who want to gamble hundreds of thousands and can't do so through the legal books or people who might want to hide money from relatives, family members, wives, stuff like that. Um, I think there's always going to be a market for that. And the people who have already had relationships with these bookies for years, it's not going to go away. So if you're like, you know, a 60 year old, um, you know, guy at a golf club and there's a guy at, a go at your golf course who takes a lot of bets, I don't think he's going to shut down his operation because DraftKings came to town. But I do think that, you know, if you go to the, the average high school next year when DraftKings and FanDuel and all, all those guys are in town, then, you know, probably less likely for there to be a couple high school bookies who are trying to take action in grade 12 or guys in your in your college who are trying to take action because it's going to be so easy for you to sign up for one of those sites, take a promo, and you're off to the races. I Bob, agree, with, agree with everything that you said. Just to add one more thing to it, these are highly sophisticated operations as well. Like we've seen scenarios, uh, me and Johnny are, are based just out of, outside of Toronto, which is in Ontario. We've seen scenarios where the RCMP, the na you know National uh, Law Enforcement Agency in Canada, has done you know two to three years of exhaustive, uh, like an exhaustive operation into certain sports betting sites and arrest a bunch of people, take the site offline for a day. Literally, right the next day, there's another URL up and running, and it's like nothing ever even happened, except for some people are behind bars but the operation just keeps going. Um, I'm not to, you know, I'm not one to say that that's going to continue on forever, 
but I'm sure that there are backup plans in place, plan A, plan B, plan C, in case anything happens to ensure that these sites can stay up and running in some capacity. Uh, I don't want to speculate any more on that, but I would be very, very, very surprised if PPH betting is obsolete. Like I I think there's almost 0% chance of that happening. Yeah. With that being said, obviously like just be careful with betting and stuff like that. And, And, you know, a lot of the times the PPHs are, they, they could be good relationships if you've built them over time. But for the most part, um, you do want to count on like the security of betting with um, a more reputable operator. And when they're, those are readily available in your state, I think that's ultimately the best choice for you as a better. There, there's obviously huge inherent advantages to betting through a regulated market where if you win money, you're getting paid your money. And that's the reality of the situation. I mean, I, I don't want to share too many stories, but I've definitely had close to a handful of times in my life where I was expected to get paid a large sum of money and I showed up and it was, there's no money waiting for you here. Don't bet with us anymore. And that's just an inherent risk that you take when you're betting through a PPH or even through an offshore where they can essentially make up their own rules. Now, granted, a lot of the offshores want to stay in business and they value your business. So the, rea- the the chances of them withholding money from you are also low, but with the regulated market, there's a 100% chance you're getting your money. So as a better, you always take into account all the information that's available to you and you place your bets wherever you want. My suggestion, and the same that Johnny would always preach, is bet in as many places as possible. But if you're not comfortable with the risk of being stiffed, then don't bet at a PPH. Um, you know, I wouldn't advocate that for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's just the reality of of the situation there. Okay. Um, next question we're looking at right here is: uh, Is it worth firing off NFL sides that are slightly minus EV or neutral to disguise heavy, sharp college hoops volume? Is it worth avoiding obscure? college hoops on certain accounts for the same reason. So this guy's just trying to say like, he's going to win on college ball, um, college basketball. He wants to put in some other action to disguise the account. Here's what I would say. Think of this. Just picture yourself on the other side as someone who's reviewing this account. If they look at the account and you have two NFL sides and 36 college basketball totals, do you really think those two NFL sides are going to do anything? Furthermore, if you've got whatever, six teasers, um, seven college basketball sides and seven NFL sides, then is that going to disguise the action? Yes. But are those teasers and NFL sides now eroding your edge in college basketball to the point where that account is not going to be in the green? So ultimately what you have to do is just think of a break even calculation in your head. And if it's worth it to toss in that action, then go for it. I think the much, much better thing you can do is instead of just playing like a bunch of straights on college basketball totals, like maybe put some in parlays. Now it's going to increase the variance and you're going to have more losing weeks and more winning weeks, which is something you probably want if you're betting with a sports book. So ultimately you want to make the most amount of money possible and also do the least amount of work possible in that account. So if you keep the account for a year, it's not really the same as if you kept the account for a week and in the full year, you only made an extra thousand bucks, you know, then you worked 
you know, 51 weeks just for that thousand dollars, probably not worth it. So all in, what I would say is just put yourself on the other side and try to go, go back through your betting history and review your account and see if the average guy is going to be able to pick off if it's sharp stuff or not. Most of the time they probably will. So I would, I would heavily advise against throwing in two NFL, NFL sides with, 35 college basketball totals. Rob, what do you think? Well, well said. I agree with everything you said. I, I think a lot of times, yes, try to think of yourself in the other position where you were reviewing the the account. I will say this is the harsh reality of betting on college basketball, especially if you're betting on totals and you're sharp. People know how much these numbers are going to move. They're going to move quite a bit. It's very, very easy to spot who is a sharp college basketball better. For anyone reviewing an account, whether it's an agent or a trader, it doesn't matter. It's so easy to say this person is a sharp college hoops better and cut them off. Like it, it's it's so difficult to disguise that. Um, what's most likely going to happen, and I've seen this before, if you try to, um, you know, disguise your account with other leagues, they're just going to limit you on the college basketball bets and still let you bet on the other stuff. That's happened all the time. We used to go through this all the time. College basketball totals, they move 10 points. You go from a $500 bet to a $50 bet. But guess what? I can still bet 1000 on NFL. That's likely what's going to happen until they think you're sharp in that sport. So there's really not a lot of workarounds for that sport in particular, just because it's one of the few right now where the lines, your closing line value can consistently be like 10% or more, depending on when you're getting down. Well said. So on to some modeling things now. Um, you know, this is not, I don't think this stuff's that interesting, but we get a ton of questions in regards to like modeling priors and things like this. Um, so we'll, we'll try to attack a few and we'll try to make them a little bit more quick. So uh, first up, how much should your priors be influencing your number uh, versus what you've seen so far in the NFL this year? And I'll let Rob take that one. I don't really have a good answer for it. I'm not going to give away how much my priors influence the number. I mean, priors do matter depending on who you ask. Some are weighting them higher uh, or lower at this point in the season. I'll just give give this out. I'm probably weigh, weighing them a little bit lower than the average person is at this point. Because I feel like it creates too many outlier situations. Uh, for example, maybe the Kansas City Chiefs would be one where if you're using priors heavily weighted, you wouldn't be able to stop betting on this team over the course of a year because you still believe that there's a strong chance that they were the team from a year ago. Um, so I, I, I can't answer that with like an exact number other than priors matter. I think you have to do your own homework on that. You should be backtesting everything that you're building from a modeling perspective. What happens when you strip out your priors? Does it improve your metrics, your error metrics, or does it make it worse? And that's like just the basis of modeling um, overall. So yeah, tough question to answer other than priors matter, what my weighting is on them in week 11 of the NFL season. Well, I don't really want to publicly give that away because that's that's kind of like giving away part of what I think my edges. Okay. Like I said, I don't really have a good answer for that. Um, up next, what we'll look at is, you know, I think this might be a good one. So the more similar modelers, the greater the consensus. Can you speak to finding an edge through differentiating with data, not in the public domain uh, or using the numbers that give you a different or unique approach? What are the best sites to scrape? So I think we've, we've answered this like in a version of this before. Um, 
the answer is not going to be one that you'll probably like. What I will say is like, if you have access to the data yourself from an online site, then somebody else has that data. I'm almost hundred percent sure. Right. So what we talked about before is if you can somehow get data through like a contact or, you know, someone that works somewhere or can pull a string for you and get you a data set that you, that you believe no one else has, that's when the value is going to come. But there's no website, um, that's going to be like just, oh yes, go scrape uh, this website and that they have all the data. Like if that's available online, then somebody else who's modeling the sport and who's betting it the biggest in the world has that data. I'm like 99.9% sure of that. We've talked about it before. The, the best way to do it would be try to make your own data metrics, try to make your own little things. Or if you're watching the game, try to find small things that you can track manually. That's the better version of scraping a site for all data. Because if it's publicly out there, then it's basically garbage. I think that edge kind of is gone now. Uh, I mean, maybe there's certain sports where it still exists, but now so much data is being collected at a league level that is proprietary league information. Unless you know someone within a team or league that is willing to give you that data, which is extremely unlikely um, because they don't want to risk their jobs to do so, then, I mean, I, I think it's kind of gone. Like, when I first started modeling hockey, I don't even remember how long ago this was, but I built a model based off of shots on goal for teams because that was the best data out there. When I connected with a mover who was going to be betting on my behalf, I basically said to them, like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of some other ways to do this. I, I, I feel like I could probably start logging scoring chances and they're like, oh, interesting you say that. We actually pay a team of guys to watch the games every single night and, and log scoring chances. If you want, you have access to that. And that gave me a big edge for a while because it was something that wasn't being tracked in the market, or at least not publicly. Um, now those are gone. Like I, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head that's that's you could basically like watch a game and track yourself. I don't think it really exists anymore. So I think those days are over. Unfortunately, we're all dealing with the same data unless you have some sort of random obscure data set that is um, just privately available. But I, I don't see that being the case. Fair enough. So what would you recommend that someone do? So your edge in sports is probably going to come from your interpretation of the data and how you implement it and not necessarily what the data is itself. Like if you present someone with tables upon tables of data, not everyone is going to arrive at the exact same number on a game. Depends on how they feel, like they, depends on what they think matters, um, how they implement it. So there's many, many different ways to model. That's likely where your edge is going to come from. That's where I believe my edge comes from. I do think it's diminishing. I think there's more and more people in market who are able to look at this data and be able to uh, parse it properly and, and like apply logic to it. But that's what I've always felt was a differentiator for me is the ability to apply logic to sports. And now there's such a focus on um, this industry, so many new people entering it, that it's kind of, I think that edge is kind of eroding. So it's a good question because you know what, Johnny, when you asked me, what would you do? I don't know. I kind of wrestle with that every day. Like, what can I do to differentiate myself? And there's less and less things that are possible. Um, so it's something that I wrestle with constantly myself. Um, especially when betting major market sides and totals. Okay. I'm considering subscribing 
to a Bayesian analytics seminar. He doesn't mention which one though. So we don't know which one. It's quite expensive. Uh, would you recommend something like this to make me a better better? Well, I, I never want to like blindly say I would recommend this or I wouldn't recommend this. You obviously have to use all of the decision, uh, sorry, all the information available to make a decision on whether or not it is worthwhile for you. Part of it is going to be the cost of whatever that seminar is. And the, do you think you are going to get enough value out of paying that cost? Um, I mean, it's like a simple calculation, but for some people, it's going to be completely worthless. For some people, it's probably going to be groundbreaking stuff that they never would have learned. And um, if they feel that they're getting that value in it, like do it. But that that's like the best I can answer that question. To each their own, in life, you have to make decisions. And you do like a, a cost-benefit analysis. And if, if you feel like you're going to get enough benefit out of it, do it. If not, don't. But you have to understand that when you are betting on sports, any additional costs that you're paying, you're now going to have to win a little bit more in the long run to offset that. Whether that's you're paying for an odd screen, or if you're paying for picks, or if you're paying for a seminar, or whatever. It's got to be worthwhile. You know, you have to be able to hit at a higher percentage um, or be able to get more volume or whatever, you have to offset that cost somehow. So it's just like an additional cost uh, to essentially, if like think of sport your sports betting as a business, right? Uh, and adding another cost to it. Okay, here's here's my answer. So he's referring to uh, Plus EV Analytics' course with um, you know Matt. We had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. So here's here's my answer. It, you you can go back and listen to that episode with Matt. The guy is a math whiz, right? So he's going to help you with anything you need in terms of math, in terms of modeling, in terms of doing that stuff. If you want to model sports and you want to do that stuff, absolutely take the course if you can afford it. It doesn't matter how much you're betting because at the end of the day, that's knowledge that you're not going to get freely um, on the web, right? So being in that course will also open up doors of like, you you need to ask them a question, you can now ask them a question. You need to ask other people in the, in the course a question, you can go ahead and make contacts and build relationships. So like the relationships alone, I think are worth the admission fee in that course. What I will say is if you don't plan on using it, if you're someone who struggled learning numbers and things like that, and like you're just gonna be snoozing in the class all day, and you're not actually gonna get it, then obviously don't take it. But if you are even considering taking it and you think, that you're going to be able to learn something from it and you are motivated to do it, 100% take it. It's going to be worth it in the long run. And I will also say the amount of absolute stupid courses I took in university that were just mandatory that I had to pay thousands of dollars for that were like this, the stupidest like world astronomy when I had zero, I didn't care about astronomy at all. I was a business major and all these stupid courses I had to take that are mandatory. Like I didn't even focus on them or whatever. Like if this is something you actually like, if you're a sports betting guy, take it 100%. That's my serious advice. Um, but with the one caveat of if you're not a numbers guy, you're going to get nothing out of the course. So you're probably better off just, you know, spending that money on, on something else. So if you're, if you think, if you're thinking of it and you like it, you're a numbers guy, take it. Um, the relationships will be worth it on their own. Okay. It's the Bayesian one. What are we at here? So we're at like around an hour. I think we'll probably have time for a couple more. We have a ton more questions to get to. So maybe we'll do like another, we'll save these off for the next time or maybe answer a couple more, um, you know, show by show as we continue to do more episodes. 
So, all right, Rob. So we've, we've answered a lot of questions that are similar to these ones before. I don't want to really get in and start debating closing line value again and stuff like that. Um, so we do have a few questions on that. We'll maybe save for another time if we, if we have a guest on who has a different view of closing line value. Um, there's also a question here besides winning, what do you believe is the most essential step, um, to becoming a full-time pro sports better? And I think we've answered that before as well, but you know, we, we've talked about like a bunch of different things. We won't get into it again, but it's like, you know, hard work, being able to actually grind it out, being able to solve problems, not giving up when things get tough. Um, so things like that, and we'll go right back up to the top where we can go kind of in the, um, the Rob and Johnny questions. We'll answer maybe a few more of these. And then we could, uh, and then we'll close off this episode. So uh, let's see what we got here. All right, this is a funny one. I find betting with my bookie helps me from burning through my profits playing online blackjack. <laughs> Thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, you got to factor in all in, straight line. If you're blowing your profits on blackjack and you're playing at a site that doesn't have blackjack, that's a, that's a solid move, but no, it, for the, for the most part, like, yeah, online casino is, uh, very addictive and very rough to a lot of people. So we, we, I know we're more sports betting on this podcast. I will say if you're struggling with like a casino addiction, it's probably something that you might want to like seek help for, or just try to limit because like there may be glitches in some of these online casinos where you can find edges and things like that. And there are definitely casino advantage players that play all across the nation. Um, but Online casino for the most part is going to be the highest hold, the highest earner for the sports book. Um, you look at like what they're willing to pay to acquire some casino players would just give you an idea of how much they're expecting to make off these guys or girls. And it's not a good spot to be in losing your money at the online casino. One thing that people don't factor in is that if you're playing at an actual casino, you're at a, you know, a table playing roulette the roulette wheel only spins once every two minutes because they got to clear all the bets, pay out everything. When you're at the online casino, you you can like 10, 20 X how much you're betting based on the fact that you just spin the roulette wheel quick. It zips out, spits out your number. You just click replace same bet. And then there you are again. So just careful on all that stuff, guys. Online casino is no joke. Uh, it's ruined a lot of lives. Almost every single legitimate online casino has some sort of setting to limit the amount that you deposit over the course of a week or a month, or the amount that you can bet during a session, there are limiting, um, constraints on that. I would always, even if you are not a degenerate and you're not someone who thinks can get addicted to online casino, you can, I've seen it. So you should set those first and foremost, regardless that's, there are people who are going to be like, you know what? I find recre I find it to be soothing or like it's a hobby for me. I don't care if I lose money. That's okay. But the minute you start losing sleep and start losing amounts of money that are affecting your life, then you obviously have a problem. So try to set up some constraints beforehand if you're ever gonna go down the online casino path. Um I do have online casino accounts. I know that I'm gonna lose money over the long run. I kind of like playing online casino, uh, but I've done that for myself. And I mean I just like, I know this, I, you have to inherently go in understanding that in the long run, you are going to lose. If you're comfortable with that, it's recreational money. It's not going to affect you, uh, your life in any way, then go for it. Like who am I tell you to how, how, who am I to tell you how to spend your recreational money? If you have an addictive personality, 
set constraints or just don't even do it because, um, yeah, I mean, sports betting's ruined lives before poker's ruined lives before, but definitely online casino, there's potential for it to get out of hand real quickly. And frankly, a lot of these online casinos that happens, they're just going to treat you like a VIP and try to get you to put even more money into the site. The reality is, yeah, some of your VIP hosts, they'll seem like they're, they're your best friend, but they're getting paid to have you deposit more money and to lose more money at the site. And that's just the reality, sad reality of the situation. So be aware of that. Um, and that's it. Yeah, definitely be careful there. Uh, okay, Rob, um, even as a long-term winner like yourself, Rob, uh, how do you deal with the mental side of large losing days and prolonged stretches of down variance. Personally, I find the tough stretches more mentally taxing than the good stretches are rewarding for whatever reason. So it's a question that came in and I think, um, yeah, that's exactly right. The tougher stretches, the, the lowest lows, oftentimes outweigh the highest highs. Um, I would say this is not just with sports betting, this is with anything, right? Like. Um, you get used to nice things real, real quick, right? You go into, uh, you can go stay in a huge, very expensive Airbnb in my Miami beach. And, you know, if you stay there for more than three days, you wake up and you're in the bed the next, the fourth day and you know, it's the appeal's gone. Right. But if you start waking up in like, you know, a really garbage place or something like that, or if you're dealing a with sewer. bad swings or bad runs. Yeah. Like every morning you wake up and it gets more and more depressing. Whereas if you're in a nice place, it doesn't get better and better. Like it, like, like the, the vice versa. So definitely the lowest lows are, de- are going to be tough to deal with. I would say the best advice I can give in this, having gone through this multiple, multiple times is just trust the expected value and the profit. But don't just say in your mind, oh, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay and I'll just get through it. There's still an aspect of work that needs to be put in. So when you're going through a rough stretch, like you're going to, there's two types of people. There's someone who's going to say like, oh, I'm going through a rough stretch. I don't even want to look at my computer today. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do my accounting. I don't want to do anything like this. Or there's a person who says, I'm going through a rough stretch. I got to work 10 times harder to make it through this rough stretch. If you can be the second person, going to be a lot more successful when you're in a, when you're in a rut, when you can't win a bet, you know, your bankrolls are depleted. You're running out of balance here. You don't have cash transfer around here. It's like looking like it's all bad. Work harder in that sense, figure out how you can make it work. Find a new edge, go through another sports book, find something else, put more work in, uh, or go through your process and say, what am I doing wrong? Am I doing this? Could this still be wrong? Like it's, it's very easy to just say, oh yeah, I'm going to trust my process and just not be motivated. But if you are motivated and you can go get after it, you're going to end up getting through that rough patch and then also having more edges and more advantages to play in your, in your next uh, big run. I think there's an element of realism that has to come into play as well. Um, so I, I agree with everything you said, Johnny, but I don't necessarily think it applies to every single person. Like for example, there are long-term losing betters who will go into a bad run and then just convince themselves they have to work a little bit harder to get out of that rut. I've seen it before. Yeah, wake up a little bit earlier in the morning, you know, spent, you know, not maybe not go drinking on a Saturday night as if that's going to affect anything. And it's not because this is someone's going to lose in the long run. Uh, this, I, I, I really like questions like this. Um, I'm horrible with this stuff. Like I, I really get demoralized in losing stretches. It's the nature of how I bet 
that is more conducive to, um, I don't want to say conducive to, but like I have lots of hot and cold streaks. I bet on high variance, uh, events. Um, it's, it's tough to swallow sometimes because yeah, you just don't like, regardless of whether or not you feel like you have an edge in the long run, you cannot help, but feel very poorly in those losing stretches to the point where sometimes it's a prolonged stretch and you really reevaluate whether you have an edge or not anymore. And it's very difficult to convince yourself of it. I would say setting up a good like moral support group is vital. Um, at least for me, it is, I'm just speaking off personal experiences, but when I'm in a rut, um, and I'm struggling, I have people around me that can kind of assure me that things are going to be okay, or at least offer a different perspective. Like Rob, like you, you know, you've lost. Yeah. Okay. You're, you know, you've, you've lost a bunch of plays here. Five of them were overtime games that were coin flips. You lost all five, like it's going to be okay. And just having that moral support around you, um, I think is very important. So that's one thing I would say, um, for sure what helps me. And you just have to kind of come up with things that work for you on an individual level. Like we had Rufus on, we talked about this um, pretty extensively. I know he's kind of been posting to his Twitter account about um, some Buddhist practices that he's been doing that have like really cleared his mind. And all that's great. Like that, that works for him. For me, I like to get away every now and then and just like listen to music, put on my noise canceling headphones for half hour, play the guitar exercise, just helps like clear my headspace to get away from sports. But there's no right or wrong answer. Some people are, are, it doesn't affect them at all. I'm, I'm not one of those people. I never will be. So I have to find a way to make it not, um, eat me alive basically at times, which is, is difficult to do. So it's something I'm constantly working on. I wish I could give better advice, but the, the best piece I can give is definitely surround yourself with good people who are not going to pile on when it's in that situation. Like the last thing you want to hear, especially if people are piggybacking your plays is like, you cost me a bunch of money. Well, that's, that's great. Like I, I know I've, I'm not winning money. Now I'm costing you money. It makes me feel even worse. You want to surround yourself with people where probably the money doesn't matter to them, or they're going to be, uh, have a more of a positive outlook in scenarios like that. So very long winded answer, but this is something that, um, I'd say definitely personally affects me a couple times a year, um, where you can get into a funk and it's just very, very hard to pull yourself out of it. And eventually you do. And you have to remind yourself that this has happened before and you will get out of it. Uh, but it doesn't make it uh, easier to deal with when it's happening in real time. So, um, yeah, tough one. It's, uh, to each their own, but for me, a good network of people, supportive people around me is what helps me the most. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and just remember, like, are you guys betting for fun or are you betting to make a profit? Like if you're betting to make a profit, then you should treat this answer different than if you're betting fun. If you're betting for fun and then you're actually getting into the mood swings where you're like depressed and stuff because you're losing, like you're definitely betting way too much money. Like, um, like Spanky once told me, he said, uh, if you're, if you're sweating the games, if you're checking the scores, not even watching the games, if you're checking the score of the game while you're watching the game, like while the game is on, if you're out at a dinner and you're checking the score, you're betting too much. 
That's what he said to me. And at the first I was like, nah, but what if you just say, you know, you want to have a sweat, you want to look at it. And slowly I've realized that that that's true. If you're betting to make a profit and you're trying to make a profit, then it doesn't matter what the score of the game is anytime because you're not having any impact on that. Whether you watch that game, you're not playing defense with the team you bet on. You're not, you're not playing, you're not scoring a goal for them. So if you're actually checking the scores, you're probably betting too much. If you're trying to do this professionally and trying to make money off this, if you're just doing this recreationally and you're doing it for entertainment and you're losing and being like, this is the worst day ever also betting way too much. So you got to find that middle ground where it's enough to give you a sweat. And it's also enough to, you know, not put you in the hole when you're, when you're, when you're down. Just I'll disagree a little bit there. I think it's fine when we have some disagreement. Spanky operates in a very different way. I mean, his operation is built where he's very rarely going to have prolonged losing stretches. I'm not going to get into too many details. Obviously, other pros out there would know. And and Spanky was on our podcast. You can listen to that episode as well because he goes into a little bit of detail about that. For me, um, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. Like when you become a pro better and you're used to winning you inevitably end up putting a lot of pressure on yourself to continue winning. And when when you have a, a stretch where things are not going according to plan or very different than what you're accustomed to, um, it's like, like for me, whether I'm, whether I'm winning or losing, I'm checking the scores of the games in real time. It's a problem. I understand that. Like sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night to check the final scores because I don't want to wait till the morning has nothing to do with betting too much where I'm uncomfortable with the amounts of money more so than it is like a, like you want to be good at your job. I think that's the, the only way I could put it. Like it, it's not the money that is it, the, like losing money sucks, plain and simple, especially when like that's your livelihood. It sucks. But the drive to be very good at your craft, like that's something that's important to me. There's people that go through their day-to-day life. They work a regular nine to five. I don't, I don't mean to demean this at all. I, I shouldn't say regular nine to five job, but they just work a job where they punch a clock, they go home and that's like, they don't care. There's no ambition, right? For me, there is an element of ambition. Like I, I want to be good at what I do. And I think that in the sports betting community, there's a lot of people out there. Like you don't want to be shitty, a shitty sports better um, or be known as that person. You want to be someone that, is winning. And when things don't go according to plan, I think it can eat at you. So, um, it's not the amounts of money. Like, I don't think, I don't necessarily buy that, but that's just me speaking from experience as a degenerate, like score checker in real time. Like I'll go to a movie and I have to pull up my phone at least once or twice during the movie to, to check the scores. And it's, it's not the money. I can tell you it's not the money. It's just like, for the I, love I, of the game. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is. Like my, my wife says this to me all the time, right? She's like, she'll see me in bed checking the score. The score is not going to change. If you check it now, like it doesn't matter. We'll be eating dinner, up, up late dinner. I'll pull up the scores. It's not going to, Rob, the score is not going to change whether you check it now or you check it later. I have this innate need to know in real time what's happening. I don't know why that is. It's my nature. Like Spanky comes, is a very like, laissez-faire laid back kind of guy you know but when when you're I, I it's hard to explain so for me it's it's all about your experience i will say there's definitely people that are betting uncomfortable amounts of money on games where they're checking it and they're sweating it because like they've put way too much down and that's a problem but um i don't think it applies to every person who checks scores in real time 
All right. Fair enough. I think, yeah, like I, I used to be more like you and now I'm shifting a little to the point where it's like, I mean, I, I, we've talked about this before as well. Like I, I play fantasy football with my friends, one league, and like I care about my fantasy guys more than I do. Like, you know what I mean? I'll actually watch those and like check the scores of my fantasy players, even though the league is not, um, you know what I mean? Like it's that's not how I, I'm trying to earn money or anything like that. It's just a, a fun thing that I want to stay committed to. When you sep- If you can separate betting to a point where your betting is not necessarily taking over your life, it's just something that you do and you know, obviously you still have to work, right? So if it's like, if games are on, if lines are up, like I'll try to be working and stuff like that. But ultimately, like when the game, when the bet's in, the bet's in. I don't need to now spend the rest of my night also doing that. So that's the, that's, I guess, where we're a little bit different in that sense. The thing is for me too, I'm betting mostly major markets, right? Like uh, I, I don't dabble in props a whole lot or whatever. Like for me to check the scores of a game takes literally five seconds. So it's very simple. Like I'm not a guy going into every single box score, checking how many rebounds a player has, you know, how many assists a player, like I I would lose it. Now, frankly, Betstamp already does that for you. So you can just go to the My Pick section after you've tracked your plays and you'll see it in real time anyways. So from that perspective, it would be a lot easier. But pre-Betstamp, like I'm not going to do that. But I don't know, it's it's to each their own. Like I go to the Betstamp office every single Monday morning. We kind of just talk about the week, how things are going. If I walk into the office and Johnny lost his fantasy matchup, I'm going to hear about it. Plain and simple. Because you, that, that's something like you take pride in. You you And there's there, certain people just take pride in certain things where it's going to f- affect their state of mind regardless. Like it's a, like a hundred dollar pool. I don't even know what you guys are playing for. I don't know what the amount is, but it's not something that is affecting you. Like you could lose the pool every year for the rest of your life. It's not having an impact on your life whatsoever, but you are no, rattled. No, it will. It will. It actually will. <laughs> but it, but it you, won't have a financial impact. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Have- it won't have a financial impact, but it would wreck your headspace. And there's certain people that it, it, like for me, it, again, I want to win money because I, I need to win money in order to sustain my livelihood. But it's the ambition, like the drive to be a good sports better, more so than the money that leads to me just being immersed with things 24 seven. All right. I think that's a good way to end off the pod. Um, even the questions that I had written down in my notes, we, we left off about probably 10 to 15 and I know we had a lot more questions. So thank you so much to everyone who submitted really appreciate all the listens and, and all the shares and reviews and things like that. It's really helped keep us going in terms of producing the content. Um, we obviously have a ton of fun doing it as well. So thank you. It is dude, Rob, can you believe this is five o'clock? It's five o'clock PM here and it is fully dark outside. Pitch black. What I is know. going on? Like, uh, once they, once you turn the clocks back, it's uh it's a different time. But I mean, I, I was in Iceland uh, for vacation a few years ago. I went in the summer where it's, Basically, 22 of the 24 hours a day are sunlight, and it's two hours darkness. Now, this point of year, it's the complete opposite. Like, imagine living in... Every time I see darkness at 5 p.m., I'm like, well, you know what? I could be in Iceland right now, where literally it would be dark for 22 hours of the day. That's a pass. So, I mean, it could always be worse. I think that's a a good, uh, good thing to remind yourself of. Yeah, but fair enough but but like man this stuff it's like uh, where did the day go and then i'm looking at the clock like it's only five o'clock day's not even over yet but 
yeah, it is what it is, man. Enjoy. The darkness, the darkness affects your, your like, I don't know. It's just, it affects your like state of mind in that. Like if it was still five o'clock, sorry, sorry. If it was still light outside, it's five o'clock now we could end this and I would go work out. Like I'd go exercise, but now it's dark and I just feel like, oh, like it's like, I'm going to be in sleeping in a few hours. Why am I going to exercise? Like it, it changes so you your entire life. You used to go for five thirty rounds of golf. I know. Like, we used to play. Yeah, I know. I know. Not that long ago. Before we wrap up here, I have to, I, I just do want to put this on the pod because we did launch a big feature for BetStamp this week, which is BetLink. For anyone who hasn't checked it out, you now have the ability to bet into your accounts at some regulated sports books and link it to BetStamp. So BetStamp will automatically pull your bets in. You do not, no longer have to manually track those sports books. It will save you a lot of time. On top of that, we've talked about the inherent advantages of tracking your bets before, but we have a lot of analysis features, especially on the desktop version of BetStamp, where you can go through literally all of your plays, find out what you're winning at, what you're losing at, where you're getting CLV, what you need to change. So check it out. Link your sportsbooks on BetLink. It's completely secure. We don't see your usernames and passwords or something. It's done through third party. Very easy, very simple to do. Uh, and I do think it's kind of a game-changing feature because it just it, it will simplify things on your end. There's really no excuse at this point. I know a lot of people are always like, ah, I don't really manually want to to track my wagers and then go place the bets or vice versa. And now it's just done by you placing the bets. So please check it out. And if you haven't downloaded BetStamp, please do so as well. That'll be my shameless plug for the week. But I really do confidently believe in this feature uh, in terms of, just like really saving you some time. Yeah, and if you're and if you're betting in a regulated state right now, let's say you're in New Jersey, like there's no excuse now with this betlink feature to not have every single book possible. If you don't have one of the books, obviously please open it through BetStamp, log into your app, click our affiliate link so that we we do get um, you know, like a commission fee back. And we appreciate that. It obviously helps keep the app running and stuff like that. It keeps everything free. But um, uh, we do not take like a cut of losses or anything like that ever. It's just a flat fee uh, commission. But ultimately, if you don't have some sports books now, like sign up for all of them, right? Like there's no reason now to just bet at FanDuel. And as much, you know, FanDuel is great. They got a lot of different different things. But why not bet at FanDuel and ScoreBet and WinBet and DraftKings and MGM and PointsBet and down the road? There's so many different sports books. And now with the ability to sync them all in, it manages all your accounting for you. So it'll show your balances. It'll show what you've deposited, what you've withdrawn. It'll pull up how much you have in every account all in one screen. It's basically like a dream come true for anyone who's trying to use multiple books, but previously didn't have the time, wasn't good at Excel, wanted to manage everything for the phone. Complete game changer. And we also added another big announcement. We added soccer finally to BetStamp. Um, I'm not the biggest soccer fan. I know Rob is a much bigger soccer fan than I, but we've got MLS up. We've got EPL up right now, both fully loaded at at the time when this podcast will come out. And hopefully, you know, by Monday or, you know, within the next couple of days, we are adding the remainder of the big five soccer leagues as well with a lot more stuff to come. So thanks everyone for your support on BetStamp. If you really want to support the app, the best thing you can do is going to help you as well. Go to BetStamp, click on one of the affiliate links in the app in the sync page, um, and then sign up for that sports book through us. Deposit in, place your bets, sync your book, uh, sorry, link your book, and it's going to be a, a really big uh, game changer for you. And just to add to the last thing I'll say, 
we would never recommend something that we don't do ourselves. Plain and simple, we can't preach it enough. The more sports books you have to bet into, the better your chance of succeeding in the long run. It's just a given fact, plain and simple. Whether you get limited or whatever, there's there's lots of complaints about why things don't work for people, but if you are a if you are aiming to win in the long run, you need to be price sensitive. That's it. And even if you do win in the long run and you're not price sensitive, the lack of price sensitive sensitivity is costing you more money. There is no reason to not bet the best number at all times. We'll leave it at that. This has been another mailbag episode of the podcast. Please rate and review five stars. Please download BetStamp or check out the website betstamp.app. And we'll talk to everyone next week.